Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. This is episode six, our mid-month episode for December 2015. Well, happy Advent, everybody. I hope that the season has been a blessing for you and your ministry so far. If you're a college campus minister or chaplain like I used to be, you might be winding down for the year, which is a wonderful blessing. But I would imagine that for most of you, whether you're church staff or a volunteer, things are continuing to pick up. Back in our podcast, specifically about Advent, we touched on the irony that this season that's supposed to be focused on preparation and waiting is often the busiest and most stressful time of the year for us in ministry. And this goes well beyond the church world, too. Uh, Just about everything gets busier and more hectic this time of year. Between church and work and school and friends and family, every one of these usually has at least one Christmas function over and above the normal schedule. And on the one hand, this should not be a surprise, right? In some ways, we just have to buckle down because we signed up for it. No one goes into church leadership, paid or unpaid, without knowing that Christmas and Easter and the time leading up to these are going to be busy. In fact, if you want to bless the staff members at your church, maybe take those Starbucks gift cards you were going to slip in their Christmas card and, and go ahead and give them to them now. Give them a little extra fuel to get through Advent. Maybe give it to them at the start of Advent next year. But as I wrote on my site recently, on the other hand, it's impossible to lead a season of reflection if we're exhausted and stressed out all the time. If we're finding frustration and bitterness creeping in, talk to somebody. Hey, you could talk to me, message me through social media or the website, but just find somebody. Maybe someone on staff or in your community or a, a clergy peer or something that you can talk with, right? There's so much more to communication than just the words we speak. And so if there's this bitterness, bubbling below the surface, it really doesn't matter how beautiful or profound the words of your sermon or small group lesson are, that stuff is going to leak through. I mean, imagine you're up there on Christmas Eve proclaiming that Christ is the Prince of Peace and and joy to the world. Christ is born and yet you look exhausted and kind of ticked off. There's just going to be this disconnect there. Now, there's a couple of things that I think can help with this. The first one is super obvious, and that's plan way ahead. And I realize this does not help this year because we're already partway into Advent, but maybe we can file this away for later. Our guest for episode one, Reverend McGrady Vega, says that their church, they plan for Advent and Lent four months ahead of each season. So they were planning Advent back in August and got to Lent in October. You kind of have to be like those artists and bands that put out Christmas records, right? You're recording in the middle of the summer. So crank down the AC, put on the Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack, buy some cookies, encourage people to put on sweaters, whatever it takes to get people in the right headspace and spiritual space to start planning for Advent maybe in the late summer or early fall. And so if you're the person that is planning sermon topics and themes, it means that maybe you need to be doing reading about Advent in the late spring and early summer. Talk about a disconnect, but this kind of work ahead of time is really going to help. Now, you might not actually write the sermons themselves until much closer to the date, but plan on doing the hard work, the deep thinking, the foundational planning outside the stress of the season and the deadlines. And McGray and I laughed as he remarked that you can never give your music people too much of a head start. And it's not just funny, but it's true too. I used to lead a praise band and it always helped to know stuff as early as possible. Even if I didn't do anything with it, I just felt better myself, right? And if you foresee a season coming where your time and energy and focus will be limited, go ahead and get that hard work out of the way. And of course, while this does apply to Advent and Lent, it doesn't just have to be restricted to these seasons. Maybe you know that coming up the next year, there is a time of visioning that you're going to be going through with 
with your church, or maybe you've got a building project coming up, or maybe a big fundraiser, something that's going to take your time and your focus and maybe give you a little extra stress, or maybe it's something in your personal life. You've got a kid on the way, or, or maybe you just realize there's some family members declining in health, or even something related to school schedules. We all know how difficult it is to do critical, creative, and analytical work when the stress is high. So if we take the opportunity to get it out of the way ahead of time, ideally, uh, this creates an advantage for us when we hit that busy season. Now, obviously, it's too late to plan ahead for this Advent. So the second thing is maybe something that can help you this year, and that's giving yourself permission to go short. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, we all have typical lengths that we like to preach or teach in worship or in small groups, but here's the thing. No one is requiring you to go that long. You know, unless you've got you know a TV show or something, that's just what's most comfortable for you and most natural for you in your community. And along with that, generally, there's a natural set amount of time that it takes you to prepare for that length of sermon or lesson. So give yourself permission to narrow the focus and shorten the time. Instead of preaching for 30 minutes, preach for 20. Instead of preaching for 20 minutes, preach for 12 minutes. You know, you can always include an extra hymn or perhaps an Advent prayer or liturgy from your tradition to fill out the expected time. That's one of the best parts about Advent and Lent. There is this whole history of things specifically prepared for this time of year. Maybe if you're in a small group, instead of preparing an hour-long lesson, shoot for 30 to 45 minutes and take the extra time to make Christmas cards or decorate cookies to send to a local nursing home or homeless shelter or to soldiers overseas. By shortening your time or giving up some of your time, it's also a great way of demonstrating to your community that there's more to worship or more to discipleship than just the leader talking or preaching or teaching. It's an important part, but it's not the focus of the time. Or really, the simplest thing is to just end early. If people are already feeling stressed out and rushed and pressed for time, they're not going to complain about getting out of church or small group five or 10 or 15 minutes early. And I imagine chances are pretty good they're going to end up sticking around and talking to people in the sanctuary or in your meeting space anyway, so it can be a positive thing for your community. But of course, this doesn't mean that we do a bad job or skip prep altogether. Instead, you're giving yourself permission to focus on the key core messages of Advent, communicate them effectively, and end when it's over, no matter how short. You know, some of Jesus' most impactful teachings and parables came in small packages. And now the key, the important part that makes this work, is that we use the extra time we would have spent preparing a longer message in a way that fills us up energy-wise, spiritually, emotionally. Don't allow everything else to creep into that time because it will. You have to guard that time and use it as mini Sabbath time. Pray, take a walk, read the scriptures, read another book, go to the gym, take a nap, take your staff or family or friends out to lunch. Whatever will help you be at your best so that God can work in and through you and not just in spite of you, do those things with that time. And now before we look back at our interview with Rob and Eric of the Pulpit Fiction Podcast, I did want to touch on another timely topic, and that's the season after Christmas. Now, of course, we're not talking immediately after Christmas because it's a running joke that the Sunday after Christmas is National Associate Pastor Sunday or National Guest Preacher Sunday, since many senior or solo pastors tend to take that week off. And I've been on both sides of that. I have been a guest preacher on that Sunday many times. And when I was a solo pastor, I also tended to take that week off. You know, attendance is usually down, especially if Christmas Eve is late in the week like it is this year. And heads up, 
Christmas Day is on a Sunday next year, so start planning now because that's always a unique challenge. But it's no secret that Christmas Eve is often a time when we see a lot of visitors. And if those visitors have a positive experience, if they connect with God and feel comfortable with our community, if they're intentionally invited or feel led to come back, you want to be ready to help them connect even deeper with your church. There are also those who will be coming back in January because of New Year's resolutions, and I notice that quite frequently in college campus ministry. But this time of year is so full of potential for new life and growth for your church, and you want to be ready. Don't let the post-Christmas burnout keep you from being a good steward of this opportunity. Adam Hamilton calls his sermon series right after Christmas and Easter fishing expeditions. This is your chance to catch the attention of people in your community who may be more open now than other points of the year. On Seedbed's Preaching Collective, they have a new post this week from Jeremy Smith, a pastor from the Florida Panhandle, in which he gives a lot of great practical tips about how to capitalize on this time. And one of the tips is to be ready to announce the sermon series for January at your Christmas Eve service. Maybe even include a flyer or a postcard for it in the Christmas Eve bulletin. This, of course, means that you need to know what you're preaching about and you need to have time to prepare those materials. And one of the more interesting ideas that I've come across along these lines was on a recent episode from the Rainer on Leadership podcast. LifeWay CEO Tom Rainer said that he's noticed a difference in the type of visitors you see on Christmas Eve versus Easter. Easter tends to be de-churched people, people who have extensive experience with the church and are coming back for Easter, while Christmas Eve tends to be unchurched people, people who are new or very occasional attenders to church. Now, I haven't really noticed that before because I haven't been looking for it, but I'd be interested to hear what you think. Is this something that makes sense or something that you've seen in your experience? But if it holds true, that might help us think through what shape the January series could take. You know, if it it really truly skews unchurched, then maybe doing a series that relies on heavy familiarity with Bible stories or certain theological concepts and insider language, that won't be as effective, especially in your advertising. Instead, what questions do unchurched people in your community have? What topics or issues are they likely to be dealing with or interested in? You know, especially this time of year, we've got things like New Year's resolutions or goals, or we have a ton obviously going on in our communities and in our country and the wider world. I recently looked at the Google Trends report for the search term anxiety. It's probably not surprising that it's been on a steady rise since 2009, and it's currently scoring at 100, which means Google is seeing more searches related to anxiety now than ever before. So perhaps something relating to anxiety and fear and uncertainty and how God and a life of faith can bring peace, that might have an impact in your community. So now let's turn to our interview with Reverend Rob McCoy and Reverend Eric Fissler, pastors and the hosts of the Pulpit Fiction Podcast. They were our guests for episode five, and so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that conversation, I would encourage you to download that episode and give it a listen. The title of the episode was To Lectionary or Not to Lectionary, and we were digging into the opportunities and challenges of following this three-year rotation of scriptures designed to take the church through the majority of the Bible, the full story of the Bible. The lectionary does follow, of course, the liturgical calendar, and so we just began a new year, year C, back on the first Sunday of Advent. 
When I reached out to Eric and Rob and pitched the topic of the conversation, the first thing they said when they wrote back was, you know, you should probably know that neither one of us preaches the lectionary every week. When I read that, I had two immediate reactions. The first was, well, of course, I actually don't know many pastors who do the lectionary 100% of the time. But then the second thought was, wow, you know, they put a ton of time and research and effort into getting their podcast out every week, and they're doing this on passages that they may not even actually be preaching about anytime soon. And that is, of course, what makes their podcast so great. The The level of dedication to the project and the consistent quality of the show is just awesome. So if you haven't listened to Pulpit Fiction, check it out. But in the interview, I brought up this fact and it got some interesting responses. As you would expect, they admitted that it was a ton of work, especially on the weeks when they personally were preaching on something else. But in sharing the origins of the idea for the show, Rob talked about being an associate pastor who didn't get to preach as often as he would have liked, and so the show became an outlet for him. This rang some bells for me. It sounded similar to what one of our listeners, Drew, had written in about in episode four regarding the discipline of writing. He, too, was an associate pastor, and I know from my experience as an associate and those I know who have been an our associates, you usually do want to preach more than you're currently preaching, but you get it, you understand it, you're not the senior pastor, it's not your primary responsibility, but for many of us, preaching is an aspect of our ministry that we feel particularly drawn to or gifted in, and so we're always looking for an opportunity to do this thing that we love, and so perhaps the lesson here is to find some kind of outlet to do the exercises and preparation of preaching or communication. Whether you journal privately or even blog or podcast publicly, it can't hurt to do the work, practice the process, and get better. The worst that can happen is you build an archive from which to draw in the future. It was also striking to me that when I asked them about how they decide when to use the lectionary and when not to, Rob's first and immediate response was, I'd say we have a love-hate relationship with the lectionary. And Eric agreed. He expanded to note that we tend to personify the lectionary. We almost give it this personality where it has qualities we like and qualities that annoy us. But at the end of the day, the lectionary is a tool. It's there to help and be of service to us. And there are these times when it may not be the best tool for the job, and that's okay. For example, earlier this fall in my denomination, the United Methodist Church, we celebrated Laity Sunday. Now, this is a denominational observance, and it's tied to a particular Sunday in October every year. It's not a liturgical event. So this means that the lectionary rarely, if ever, corresponds with the theme of the day. Now, sure, you could recognize lay ministry separate from the sermon, or you could celebrate it by having a lay minister or a lay speaker uh, preach on one of the lectionary passages. But if you are a pastor who wants to present a message on the power and importance of lay ministry, you're out of luck sticking with just the lectionary. But like all tools, it can be used effectively and it can also be used poorly. One of my bad habits used to be planning out series strategically throughout the year, like right after Christmas or Easter, and then using the lectionary to plug in the gaps or fill time in between, especially like the low points of the summer. Certainly, one of the benefits of the lectionary is that it has a plan for every Sunday, but I can't say that using it as a fallback when I felt like I had run out of my own brilliant ideas was the best use of the lectionary as a tool. Another way I may have abused or misused the lectionary was to jump around between different readings from week to week. What I mean by that is, you know, generally there are four primary readings, the gospel, the New Testament, a psalm, and then a general Old Testament reading, and I would do something like two weeks out of the gospel, jump to the Old Testament because it was super exciting, then do 
do a couple weeks in the epistles and then maybe go back to the same gospel, but we're now a couple chapters later. This isn't necessarily awful, but there are these through lines in the lectionary that are meant to build on one another, almost like series within the lectionary. And, and you lose that overall impact if we start jumping around. And of course, as Eric noted, with the consistency of church attendance going down, oftentimes series of any kind, lectionary or not, are broken up because people are missing weeks. But I confess these bad habits and these mistakes because I don't think I'm the only one that has done them or similar things. Anyone out there do anything like this? And I think especially in my own generation of younger preachers, we're exposed more and more to to series and big event preaching, and so we're losing touch with the value of the lectionary and what it can bring to our community. So I would love to hear from you on this. Do you use the lectionary? Why or why not? Or do you split it up? And maybe what's your breakdown? Are you 60-40 series preaching, 80-20 lectionary? Or maybe only lectionary during the major liturgical seasons like Advent or Lent? And, and what are some of your success or failures when it comes to using the lectionary? When I asked the guys to make a pitch for the lectionary, their first answer was really interesting to me. They noted the incredible number of resources out there for lectionary preachers. Now, Rob then shared the beautiful image of the church universal, the big C church, wrestling with the same passages from different perspectives and in different contexts each week. But after some reflection, I think it's really great that they started with this idea of practical resources. One of the strengths and honestly the challenges of the lectionary is that it will take you outside of the passages and stories with which you're most familiar and comfortable. It'll present us with passages we may not want to study or preach on, and that may make them all the more important depending on why we want to avoid them. So the fact that there are so many resources out there means that we have the opportunity to go out and learn from and be exposed to perspectives outside of our own. If we're only sticking with passages we know and love, we're also likely sticking with the perspectives and interpretations we already hold. So in pointing out the vast body of scholarship and reflection out there, Rob and Eric are really reminding us, too, to get out of our own heads. As I mentioned earlier, the lectionary has these through lines. Lectionary-based research tools also tend to acknowledge these and take them into consideration. They'll note when one passage relates to another or how it builds on what happened the previous week or points to what's coming the next Next week, these kinds of connections might not be present in other types of resources, and so I find them really valuable. Some of my favorite lectionary-based resources are obviously the Pulpit Fiction Podcast, but also TextWeek.com and the Feasting on the Word Commentaries, and we'll have links to all these things in the show notes. Rob and Eric also mentioned Sermon Brainwave, which is the scholarly-focused lectionary podcast from WorkingPreacher.org, and they name that as one of the inspirations for starting Pulpit Fiction. So if you have any lectionary-based resources, Sources that haven't been mentioned here that you use and find helpful, drop me a note and I would love to share them on a future show. Now let's turn to our deleted scene. Here's a new clip from my interview with Eric and Rob. I like that the both of you sort of to synthesize what you said, both of you feel like you are participants in the process and not just, you know, a mouthpiece. And, and, and I think that's important because as you said, when, when you're sort of, I'm the expert bestowing knowledge, it certainly comes across a lot different than when it feels like you're you're there living life with your folks and and Eric especially when when you talk about it, it needs to challenge yourself do you try to stay on top of what is challenging your people so that you can sort of find where your challenges overlap yeah absolutely I mean it's and often I mean I don't think that they're usually that different um, and that's something actually you know that that I think Nadia Bulls Weber has really lifted up. I think it's one of the things that people have found really compelling about Nadia Bulls Weber is that um, 
she, you know, her focus on confession and basically the assumption that she's messed up and probably the people in the pews are as messed up as she is. Um, and I don't think that's, I mean, I think that's almost a direct quote of something that she said in the past. And there's a piece where if I'm that, you know, I might be struggling with this and I suspect the people in the pews are struggling with it. Or, you know, sometimes people will say like, oh, like I've, I've always struggled with that. I've always had a problem with it too. Like maybe it's the Trinity or maybe it's, um, you know, I mean, maybe it's some of the really radical things that, that Jesus calls us to, you know, the willingness to sacrifice our life or our churches or everything, you know, or sometimes people say, you know, I struggled with that for a long time. Uh, but then this is, then I saw this or I experienced this, or I read this text and this is what helped me through it. And then it, then it becomes much more participatory because then it helps me kind of do that helps the larger congregation. So Mm. obviously context is extremely important and, you know, kind of not just, you know, the immediate local context, but, um, I mean, I think there's also the piece and I can't remember if it was Carl Bart, uh, who said, you know, if, if, 30%, 30%, I think Carl Bart was the one that said, you know, you should always preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if it was him or somebody else that said, if there's, if 30% of your congregation is thinking about something, you better be preaching on it. Yeah. And whether that's the, you know, whether that's the election, whether it's a national tragedy or something in the news. And so that's also a piece. I mean, context is obviously extremely important. Yeah. And, and to build off what you said, Rob, one of our uh, earlier guests in the launch episodes was Reverend McGray Vega, who's a UMC pastor and writer here in Florida. And he talked about the need for a surprise uh, in mm. the sermon. And so sort of this idea that you can you can find something that is a struggle of your folks or a question or a concern that maybe they didn't even know that they had in the first part. Is that is that an experience that you have had in your preaching? Yeah, well, when I think about surprise, you know, what's what's the good news? And and sometimes the good news is being is sitting in the struggle is is the wrestling is the mystery. Mm. Um, I, I I'm okay with you know saying I don't necessarily have this figured out, um, but we're gonna we're gonna wonder about it, you know. And I think that's a piece of preaching that might be a somewhat new sort of phenomenon. Um, the preachers because I think people are tired of the, 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 there's something authentic about saying, you know what, I don't, I'm struggling with this too. There's a vulnerability there. There's, um, you know, authentic relationship when you're, when you're able to say, you know what, this is something I'm struggling with. I, I haven't figured it out yet, but maybe we can figure this out together as we live in this good news. And, and you know what, I think that is, can be incredibly surprising to people to hear someone be willing to not have all the answers. This clip connects well with our previous point. If the lectionary is a tool that challenges us to approach passages we may not be as comfortable with, then it certainly opens up the opportunities to struggle alongside our congregations. And I don't know how you hear that phrase or what it does inside of you, whether you're like, well, of course, that's what I do, or whether it causes some tension because it really gets at this core question of pastoral identity, especially in the realm of preaching and proclamation. Are you the expert? Do you see yourself or does your church see you as the expert? Is there this expectation that you're going to blow people away week in and week out with how profound you are? Or are you someone who, sure, you maybe get a little head start thanks to your personal study or your theological education, but you're someone who's willing to walk alongside the people in your church or small group as we wrestle with the ideas. This is one of those pastoral identity questions we all have to take a look at. 
Now, Rob and Eric occasionally do interviews themselves as special episodes, and I loved a moment in the interview they did with Walter Brueggemann where they asked him, where is the good news in the book of Job? They had been studying it for a couple weeks as part of the prep for their podcast since it's shown up in the lectionary, and, and it can be really hard to find the good news in a story like Job. And so they said, you know, you have more experience and more expertise with the Hebrew Bible. Show us where you see the good news. And I won't spoil the answer they get, uh, but I'll put a link to the episode in the show notes so you can go and give it a listen. It's, it's a really good example of Rob and Eric putting into practice what they shared in that clip. And so as we close out this episode, this is the final episode of the year. Now, the next one will be available at 5 a.m. East Coast time on January 1st, 2016, so you won't have to wait long into the new year to get your Art of the Sermon fixed. But the end of the year is always a natural time to look back and reflect. And so if you find some time around the busyness of Advent or maybe in the week or so after Christmas, I'd like to offer a couple guiding questions that can maybe help you reflect on this past year's uh, preaching or leading your small group. Overall, how did it go? Was it a good year? Did you struggle? Some good, some bad? Can you see ways in which your preaching or leading your group changed over the course of the year? Were there areas where you felt you improved in preparation, in writing, in delivery, in the spiritual disciplines that pour into your life and role as someone who does the work of ministry? What sermons or sermon series or small group curriculum really connected well with your group? Why do you think they were so meaningful? Was there something about the topic or the scriptures or the book? Where did you get the ideas? What resources did you use? How were you doing personally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually during that time? Was it busy? Was it peaceful? Were you sick? Were you tired? Were you healthy and full of energy? If you can identify a couple takeaways from this past year, it might help lay a foundation for the year to come. So as I said, this is the last episode of 2015. And so before you jump to something else, I do want to wish you, your families, and your ministries a Merry Christmas. It's been an honor and a pleasure to get this podcast off the ground this fall. I'm grateful for all the amazing guests we've had so far. And of course, thank you so much for listening. It means a ton to me to know that there are people out there who care about this stuff as much or more than I do. And I'll keep you in my prayers as you do incredible ministry through this Christmas. I do hope you get a chance to relax and connect with family and friends, and I look forward to bringing you more great podcasts in 2016. Thank you so much for joining me for episode six of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or your favorite podcast app so that the new episodes are downloaded as soon as they go live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and you want other people to find it. Our next episode is scheduled to go live on January 1st, 2016, and so in just over two weeks, you'll get to hear my interview with Reverend Sarah Heath, the teaching and preaching site pastor at Shepherd of the Hills United Methodist Church in Rancho Santa Margarita, California. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.